welcome back everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us. It's super exciting to have you guys here for the second talk of the series. If you missed the first one as well, we will be uh, putting that out on social media so you'll be able to catch up. Last week we had a meet uh, Cabra as well as Stacy Berger, and that was really more about mindset. Uh, so we're really excited to move on to this one. I will note to everybody though that this session is being recorded, so just a heads up there, as well as we get the fun of uh, the Zoom calls that go on. Um, now that we've covered that, I just want to address what the series is about um, and introduce a little bit through our uh, our brave and fearless leader, uh, Tegan Martin Drysdale. Hey, thanks for uh, joining us. I just wanted to speak a little bit to why we started this. Um, I have lived in Edmonton for over 10 years and I have seen nothing but strength in the community uh, in ups and downs that we've experienced in the past. Obviously nothing like what we're going through right now, but I know that Edmonton is a community that is strong, that comes together, that's resilient. Um, it's a community that's built on small to medium-sized businesses and entrepreneurs. And I really think about the, the situation that we're in, and I think about how Edmonton's really going to rise up out of this and how well-positioned we actually are to do that. Um, just because we have this history of boom and bust cycles, um, and we have the community around us, and we have actually what I think is uh, an asset to us right now, which is uh, our northern location, which uh, causes a bit of isolation, but we're used to that. We're, we're built for this. And I wanted to create an event series that um, get, gave positivity and strength to our entrepreneurship community. Um, we're going to... Uh, continue this I think for quite some time to come and I'm really excited for the speakers that we have coming here today so thank you very much for joining us everybody awesome super exciting um, so that's Tegan our <laughs> lovely leader here um, this week things are gonna be a little bit different than last week so last week like I said we started with the positive mindset and getting ourselves ready for any changes that we maybe need to make. Um, this week, we're gonna focus on positivity, but also more on the innovation side of things. So while we tend to reserve the advice for entrepreneurs, we also have amazing parts of your community uh, that includes major corporations. So we're definitely excited to have some Alberta flavor in here uh, in a different variety, but also some true Alberta flavor with uh, some food talk today. So I'm really excited to hear um, because when you hear words like food truck, social media, these, these don't sound like foreign concepts in Edmonton anymore, but there was a time that they were. And maybe people probably thought back in the day when Ariel and his uh, partners first suggested doing a food truck in Edmonton, kind of, kind of a crazy idea. That's definitely something for sure that we'll be touching on today. But now in a new and changing world, Philly Sticks looks towards a new model with their new downtown location that just celebrated its first anniversary, as well as we've got some great stuff to talk about with Tyler from ATB. They actually just won a uh, Golden Quill Award, so we want to congratulate him on that as well. But we're also going to be talking about their Goodness Grows campaign, so you might have seen that on social media. And if you did, it's all the, the fun work of Tyler and his team and uh, the positivity that they've been spreading, not only throughout the Edmonton community, but throughout the entire province. Um, this is the reason that when we focus on what we can do, 
and use the steps of creating a positive mindset that we learned last week, we can take the next steps, whether they're big, small, anything like that, to help businesses recover, relaunch, and rebuild. So our amazing two speakers are here to tell you about themselves, a little bit about their journeys, a little bit about what they're working on right now, and you're going to leave today definitely feeling a little bit more like we're going to be okay. Like, uh, like Tegan said, we're definitely a resilient bunch in Edmonton. We're excited to tell you all about it. So today we're going to hear from Tyler Butler. He's ATB's Senior Manager External Communications, or Story, and Ariel Del Rosario, who's the owner and operator of Philly Sticks, or the Chief Flavor Agent, as he calls himself. So first we'll begin with Tyler, and uh, he's going to share with us a little presentation deck, so that'll take over where my face is right here, and then afterwards we'll have a little Q&A with Tyler, and then we'll move on to uh, Ariel's presentation. Okay. Thanks, Madison. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I have put together a little deck, so I'm going to share my screen. We have a running joke on our uh, team right now that you can't share a screen without talking about how you're sharing a screen, so I'm living that right now. Uh, Madison, give me a nod if you can see this deck. Yep, good. Okay, so hi, I'm Tyler. Uh, I work at ATB, and my role there is uh, mostly to manage our social media campaigns uh, or, and, and our social media presence. Uh, and that's the, what my team does in external communications. Um, but also ever since we uh, started living in this new normal, uh, I've been one of the leaders of a project that we're calling uh, Goodness Grows. So we've come a long way in the last two months at ATB. Uh, and, and there are many things that, that we're doing as a marketing and brand team. Goodness Grows is one piece of that. You'll, you'll see our, our marketing campaigns out there uh, about how the, the programs we're offering to Albertans right now, the, the ways we're trying to help. Uh, you'll see um, things we're doing around uh, the small business space. Um, but Goodness Grows specifically is part of what we're calling our uplift project. Uh, which is our attempt to, to be there to help lift the spirits of Albertans. This tweet is two years old <laughs> and has never felt more relevant to me. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when we started, uh, when the pandemic really, really began, what my team was doing was pure crisis communications. Uh, we spent two weeks glued to our screens helping people who are reaching out to us in, in the direst of circumstances or, or with real questions about what this would mean financially. Uh, and we, we did, this is all we did, was, was crisis communications, clear, regular communications, keeping people up to date, and as well as adapting uh, in real time. Uh, for example, as we began to roll out our payment deferral program, we, we know that in the back end, we were, our, our team was developing an AI that was helping to approve people quickly uh, in mere minutes in, instead of filling out forms. So a lot of innovation happened very quickly. On our comms side, social media was one of our key customer service channels. And we also started researching. How are people feeling right now? We believe at ATB that we have a place in Alberta that's not just financial, uh, we really believe we have a place in the well-being of Albertans. Uh, so that means financial well-being, obviously, but it can also mean emotional well-being. So you can see here, this, this graphic itself is a little bit old from, uh, from uh, April. 
but we were seeing these words, uncertain, anxious, worried, concerned. Uh, I don't think I need to convince you that folks are feeling down uh, and still are in many ways. Uh, but we saw this opportunity as we began to look at the uplift, uh, our work under uplift and what we'd be doing, how, how we could tackle emotional well-being as a brand. We started noticing these stories and I think we all have heard of these stories by now, but the, the socially distant weddings, the fire trucks visiting on birthdays, the, the songs sung on balconies. And we started to realize, yes, this pandemic has changed our lives and shaken us to the core, but also it's brought out the best in who we are. And we are finding new and innovative ways to connect, even as the connection points, the ways we gather and the celebrations we look forward to are changed possibly forever. We also had this project that we could build off of. Uh, the two years before, we had done what we call the ATV Listens Lounge, which is an activation where we go to a conference called Social West in Calgary, and we ask folks, we, we allow conference goers to ask us for anything they want. And that has ranged from dinosaurs to uh, pens to lip balm to some really outrageous things. So you can see some of the fun we had here. This is the one that uh, Madison mentioned, we, we just won an international award for this activation. And uh, we, we knew we had success. That we, we trended across Canada as a provincial bank. We, we earned almost 4 million impressions of our hashtag. Uh, we engaged some of the most influential Albertans out there and truly had a lot of fun. And, I'd be happy to dig more into the Listens Lounge, which I'm very proud of. We'd also explored some other fun things like um, we explore, we, we did projects where we partnered with Rapid Fire Theater to do an improv show on Instagram uh, or to sing funny Christmas songs uh, live on Twitter. Uh, so we, we built this culture on social, which we summarized as when you tweet ATB, amazing things happen. So we decided to build that into what we call Goodness Grows. Uh, I won't bore you with the pitch here because uh, I think we've covered most of this already, but how can we bring this philosophy of when you engage with us on social, amazing things happen and help to use that philosophy to tackle uh, the emotional well-being of our customers and Albertans as a whole. And we had this MVP moment, and I'm sorry, Madison, to bring this up again, but uh, we had this moment where we ran into this tweet by happenstance where uh, this, this Albertan Lynn uh, was talking about how her, her father, who suffers from dementia, had uh, his day-to-day his -day had been shaken and changed. Uh, he was feeling isolated. And the rest of this Twitter thread was all these details uh, with an ask. Could you write a letter? Could you get your kid to draw a picture? Can you do anything to shake up his day? Uh, so we, we stepped up to the plate here. We have a sponsorship relationship with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And we, to be honest, have always struggled with what to do with this on social. Uh, so we reached out to him and, uh, and helped him produce a video uh, where he mentions, I know that you like carving wooden ducks. I hear you're an Oilers fan. I hear you've lived in Edmonton for 80 years. You must have seen so much change. Uh, and he, he, Nuge was amazing on this. Uh, but recorded this video and as well sent uh, this man a signed jersey uh, that we helped facilitate. So what we are trying to do here uh, is just prove our concept. What if we bring the Listens Lounge into this new normal? 
And you can see from, from our follow-up tweet here how, how much of an impact we were able to make on, on Lynn and her father. And th this was so meaningful for our team that had been doing crisis comms for two weeks and, uh, and really needed a win. <laughs> so goodness grows. The, I'm gonna talk about what it is, blow through some examples, and then get to, get to the Q&A. Um, but essentially, we built this program, which was how can we activate around some of the biggest community moments that have been changed by COVID? How can we bring our team members out and empower them to do good in their own communities with a grassroots movement? How can we keep looking for opportunities like Lynn's tweets where maybe, maybe we aren't even mentioned or maybe our brand isn't the lead, but we can jump in and, and do good and use our connections. And how can we tell great stories about what it is that we're doing? Uh, so these are, this is the strategic framework of everything you'll see this spring and this summer uh, coming from Goodness Grows. And some examples of what we've been up to. So Goodness Grows, we launched by asking our team members simply, go out and do a good deed in your community. And here are some examples. We had, uh, we had 182 team members go out and do everything from leaving tennis balls in a dog park to, to knitting, to buying gift cards to each other, to dropping off ice cream and, uh, and just found these beautiful stories. Um, and then we kept going. So when Mother's Day came around, we knew that uh, I know my mom was thinking, what, what do you mean I don't get to hug you guys or hang out in, in the same way on Mother's Day? Um, so what we did is we, we stepped up and asked folks to share a story about your mom or share a photo of your mom with us and, and use our hashtag. And in exchange, we'd make a $20 donation to the Alberta Council of Women's Shelters. Um, we were able to raise our goal of $10,000 uh, as well as uh, trending across the province, which is a nice win for us. Um, but again, just having this, there is no real banking reason for us to be asking you about your mom, but it, we, we heard over and over again how, how good it felt uh, to, to be sharing about this special person and also helping to contribute to a, a cause that's truly worthwhile. And we were looking for ways to tell this story better, but uh, we, we chose this, uh, this cause very deliberately based on some research we'd heard about um, rising levels of domestic violence uh, during COVID. Uh, which is a, a dark end to this story, but I'm glad that we were able to contribute to a worthwhile cause. I'm going to keep blowing through here. Feeding Alberta, we, we did partner with a couple folks who had already started their own discounts for uh, healthcare workers, and we contributed some extra funds, um, and it's all on these partners, but uh, we heard from Northern Chicken, so what we did is we offered a discount for healthcare workers, uh, promoted it on social, and then we heard from Northern Chicken that they ended up providing 600 meals that weekend. So literally we heard we need to get food in the hands of the people who are keeping our Albertans alive and identify that that was a pain point we could help address. Uh, briefly, we, we repurposed our crowdfunding platform, Booster. We removed, uh, we partnered with folks to remove, I believe, all of the fees, if not uh, most of the fees. We also removed the traditional crowdfunding goal of uh, needing to complete your crowdfunding, uh, reach your goal in order to get your funds. So our hope here was to help uh, businesses that might be struggling with cash flow or looking for kind of an online store solution or, or being able to seek donations from uh, loyal customers and uh, made these adjustments to the platform in just a few weeks uh, and uh, recently have launched quite a few campaigns on Booster uh, worth checking out. 
we're making a content play. Uh, I tried to include some stuff about small business and entrepreneurs, but um, really focusing our content, which was a little more scattershot before on what are the pain points folks are, are encountering on the consumer and business side of banking. Um, we're doing webinars, we're doing live streams. Um, I encourage you to check out our social channels and website. And most recently, we, uh, we did a live stream where, again, we involved some of our sports folks. So uh, we did a live stream with the quarterback of the Stampeders, the captain of the Flames, and uh, an Olympic curler, Ben Hebert. And we had 10,000 people tune in for an informal podcast-style chat. I don't know about anyone on this call, but I'm pretty hungry for sports, so it felt good just to hear, uh, just to hear their voices. And here's a little bit of insights in the results so far. I wouldn't say we've reached the, the massive virality of something like the Listens Lounge yet, but we do have some pretty exciting activations coming up and you can see uh, the volume behind our hashtag. So from the pure digital marketing side of things, this is a brand play. It's a way that we can step up and, uh, and help Albertans truly and also hope that they uh, associate us with, uh, with that kind of helpful spirit. And what's next? Uh, Pride Month, Father's Day, Calgary Folk Fest. Keep your eye on our social channels. Uh, I think we're up to some cool stuff. So I think that's a good summary of what we're up to with Goodness Grows. And I, I'd love to dive into our, your questions, Madison. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I know um, the booster campaign, we actually shared that with our members as well, because, you know, a lot of our members are solo entrepreneurs or very small businesses. Some are micro even. Uh, and then we do have the larger ones as well, but everybody needs support. And I think it was a time where people were a little, a little nervous for those things, I would say. Um, so it definitely was a cool boost to give out. And then seeing um, you guys partner with some local people like uh, Linda, who will be speaking at the end of our series. It was fun to see the whole province just get involved in something. So I think it was very inspiring that way but if we you know maybe we don't want to talk about calgary as much right <laughs> but uh i think we'll start with um the fun question that i've been asking everyone so it's what what in your experience is the most appealing part about edmonton for entrepreneurs yeah um i think my answer comes from my experience as as a musician i, I play folk music and one of the big differences that I have always heard and I, I've played in other cities and toured um, is like, we almost have this more level playing field in Edmonton where you, you could still pick up a guitar and go start playing. And if you were really good and really driven, uh, there was a way for you to keep grinding and make it happen in a, in a way that um, cities that are more entrenched uh, were, were harder to rise up or there was a more kind of political angle to, to getting to the top. Uh, so I have no experience as an entrepreneur myself. I've always worked for large institutions, but to me that spirit is something I see all the time in this city. And uh, it's one of the things I love about living in Edmonton. It's funny because you say you don't have experience as an entrepreneur, but you definitely have experience trying new things that necessarily <laughs> these, these large organizations might've been a little scared of doing. Cause I remember learning about you with, music by you started a podcast at a university which is something that not a lot of people would expect and then you also got people wanting to follow the snapchat of a post-secondary institution and if anybody has any 
success with digital marketing, like it's, you follow some interesting steps there with innovation, I'd say. I, I remember having people tell me, oh, you got to check out McEwen's Snapchat. And I was like, this is the Twilight Zone, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but we did have familiar faces on there as well, which we'll go into after because Ariel's been featured on there as well. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but um, one of my other questions is your your whole campaign is focused on maybe not what everyone else is doing, right? It's propping up maybe other brands or not necessarily being like ATB focus on us. We're the best thing ever. And everybody right now is just inundated with we're in this together emails and things like that. Um, and those they've like sparked campaigns based off of that. But for you to focus yours completely on positivity, is that just, you didn't want to be the typical we're here for you guys or was this building off of that uh listens lounge and seeing the success of that completely i think that we as a leadership group really believe in atb's like grassroots we have 300 branches across the province we are often the last bank in a small town uh and that network of team members that that um understanding of the customer uh, I think we really saw the power in trying to create something that many of our activations are at the hyper local or grassroots level. A lot of the things I didn't cover were like a micro donation for a small town food bank or sending a truckload of food up to Fort McMurray when they flooded. Um, these things really matter uh, and they aren't quite the, the big B brand plays, but as a whole, when we're able to package everything and draw it back to we're, we're doing good and we hope that it goes and grows into the community. Uh, I think we saw a lot of power in that. What we're trying to do here is, yes, we're out there listening and trying to truly make a difference and be careful about the, the organizations we support and the causes we're, we're covering, but also we hope to inspire folks to go and do good deeds on their own. That's awesome, yeah. Um, and like you said, you started with your own team starting out and going doing these things. Um, is that something of the need for like social connection that you find that your team is struggling with or just to feel like they're part of something a little bit larger? Yeah, we had been hearing from team members, we, we want to go out and help and we, we heard some ideas back. So we wanted to help our 5,400 team members bring some structure to, these are some ways you can go out and help. So for example, one of the tools we've built, um, it's a series of toolkits that are, it, um, centered around potential things you might go in your community. Uh, specifically, the one that'll launch next week is if you would like to go do something nice for your local seniors home, here is a bunch of coloring sheets and uh, ideas for how, here, here's all the AHS stuff you need to think about. So we're trying to empower our team members while also bringing structure and branding to the work that they do so they can go out and, and know they speak with ATV's voice when they uh, go into their own communities. Oh, that's awesome. That's really fun. I'm really looking forward to seeing that next week. <laughs> I hope it works. Um, I think one of the things that any of our members are struggling with or entrepreneurs in general is how to keep that positive messaging on social media and to not get too deep into the weeds with any sort of negativity. Is there any advice that you'd have for them to kind of find like their own version of Goodness Grows? 
Yeah, I think it's twofold. One, we because we started in a crisis comms phase, we are, we understand how to help folks who are coming to us. So we've built a system. We have um, shared messaging uh, that um, we've brought a lot of people in to help us manage social because obviously we've seen an uptick in it. So. Um, there, there's the side of it that is what if people come to you with questions and concerns and you need to know how, how to help those people and have made decisions about um, maybe even pre-thought through like what are some questions I can anticipate that I can be ready to answer. On the flip side, um, one of the, part of it is voice and tone. So we know we have a more playful voice uh, as a brand and we obviously step back from that during crisis comms phase, but now we're in more of a fun uh, uh, carefree voice uh, time. So we, we've defined that voice as part of our brand. And as well, we think a lot about storytelling. So how can I make sure that when you encounter this tweet, it tells a whole story without you really needing to go digging? How can we package things so you understand what Goodness Grows is when you run into it? I think we have work to do there, but we are we have constant conversations and constant reflections and, and um, meetings called uh, retros or retrospectives. We work in an agile project management format. So each week our Goodness Grows team is looking at what worked, what didn't, what do we need to change next week and being really, really reflective all the time so that, uh, so that we're telling great stories and, uh, and staying positive. Awesome, yeah. Um, one of the things that we talked about last week with the meet actually was just about starting in digital marketing because I know a lot of people they didn't have much of a presence before this and then this became the only way to get to people I mean you're not going out you can't see billboards if you're picking up your mail-in flyers you're probably Lysoling off all of the uh, the coupons on there anyway um, so one thing we were talking about was where to even get started and I think one question that we would have would be do you think that maybe emulating something like this, but on a smaller scale for a business, if that's something that they could do to like get involved or kind of, you know, how like imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> is that like a way that you'd suggest to get started or so it's not as overwhelming as I have to come up with a brand new campaign and figure out everything. Yeah. I mean, you can, anyone can use our hashtag, but <laughs> I also think that there's a power in positivity. I think that there is a power in having, um, in storytelling, uh, featuring customers, stories, team members. Uh, I think that also we, what we've seen is like a drastic uptick in, in social traffic and a flattening throughout the day of social traffic. So we used to have times of day where we would try to optimize our content. Now people are on their phones and computers all the time. We're on it right now, right? Uh, so I think there, there, there's a time where uh, being active on social, being careful about what, or maybe focusing your channels and stuff, but being active on social is very important. For sure. And I got this one message to me. Um, people are wondering about when it comes to trying new platforms, how to get involved with like a trend like ATV Goodness Grows without looking disingenuous. Is that, do you have any advice on how to do that without looking like you're just trying to capitalize on something? Yeah, I think that it's about understanding like what, who are you in this account? So mm. I don't, we try not to just like randomly jump into things. We try to really think about like who, who is ATB? 
what is ATB and why does this make sense for us to do? Why does it make sense for us to tell this story from our perspective? Um, you know, I, I think it's fun to jump in on a trending hashtag or something. Um, but uh, in terms of like, I, I get asked a lot, we should share more memes. Like, well, that, that's not our brand voice. We could be that brand, uh, but we would have to drastically change people's perspective of who we are. Otherwise we'll end up on the subreddit fellow kids. Uh, <laughs> are, and they're excellent. Uh, so uh, I think that there is an authenticity piece at the center of the question, which is like, when you do this, does it feel right for the, the voice and tone that you've set for your brand or for yourself? Mm -hmm. I think also from my personal experience, having a team to bounce that idea off of is very beneficial. Uh, yeah, I had a team a member who uh, wanted us to put out, I think it was the mannequin challenge, like a good six months after it was done. And I was like, well, let's just make a Harlem Shake video while we're at it, right? <laughs> at that point, it's retro. We can do it again. It's good. I will say that I think that, um, for example, I feel like live video is having a moment right now where a lot of people are doing like live concerts. I think that we've seen changing behavior on platforms like Instagram. And I'm sure Ariel will have thoughts on this, but like I order food through Instagram DMs now. Like that, can you imagine three months ago if I'm like, yeah, I can just DM a restaurant, the food's waiting when I get there. Like, and now that's so normal. So we've seen this rapid behavior change on social. To me, that's a white space where if there's something you haven't tried before and you're aware of that behavior, now's the time to try it. Uh, I think there's more forgiveness. If you mess something up, people are very forgiving right now because like Jimmy Fallon is doing zoom calls and calling them TV shows. Like the, the quality playing field has leveled and it means that we've taken big risks on live streams, like bringing Mark Giordano in on our second live stream being like, hope this works. <laughs> hope we don't look like idiots in front of the captain of the Calgary flames. Uh, and it did luckily, but if it hadn't have worked, I think our audience would have been more forgiving than before. So Understanding that I think is really important. Now is a good time to innovate. Awesome. Well, I think that's actually a great place to move on to even more innovation. So if you don't know Ariel, then you clearly haven't been paying attention to the food system in uh, Edmonton and the food scene for quite a while now because Philly Sticks has been on the map for quite a while now. I would say, um, if you've ever been to U of A, you've probably tried them out, maybe McEwen when they were still there, but this week is actually the one week or one year anniversary of their downtown location being open. So they've definitely had to make a few differences in uh, how they're doing business these days. So if uh, you'd like to take it away, Ariel, we can uh, get to talking food. Thank you, Madison. Um, thanks for inviting me uh, to this uh, speaker series. I still am like floored when people ask me to, to speak to people about our company, our business, um, the industry that we're in, because uh, I'm just a guy that cooks food and, and, and serves food. But I guess if people think that I have something of value to say, then sure, I'll share it with you. Um, so I am the co-founder and the co-owner of Philly Sticks Restaurants. Uh, Philly Sticks Restaurants is a small, um, independent, and local restaurant group. We have uh, two locations in the city, one at the University of Alberta Students' Union Building, which we call Philly Sticks Sub, 
and it's in the quick service space. And we also have, like Madison was saying, um, a downtown location uh, in the heart of the government district uh, called Philly Sticks Downtown, and that is in the fast casual space. Um, so we launched Philly Sticks in 2008 uh, as one of the city's very, well, one of the city's earliest um, mobile kitchens or food carts. Um, we uh, were posted up on Rice Howard Way for three years. And uh, in the third season, we really thought about packing it up just because uh, the Edmonton uh, downtown dining um, public was not really kind of ready for um, mobile kitchens at the time. Uh, we were about two or three years a little too early uh, when the food truck scene kind of hit this city. In, um, in 2011, we moved into our first uh, permanent indoor kiosk at uh, the U of A in the cab building. And then in 2012, we expanded to two locations, one at McEwen and a second one at the U of A in the uh, Edmonton Cl Clinic Health Academy building. Um, so yeah, we've been operating that, uh, those three locations uh, for about eight years. Uh, and then in 2018, um, we did have a, an unfortunate contract dispute with uh, with Madison's old boss, bosses, companies that she worked for. And uh, so we had to amalgamate our two uh, U of A locations and we opened up in the sub building. Um, like I said, last year, uh, May 26th, uh, 2019, we opened our very first uh, brick and mortar restaurant. Uh, and um, and honestly, it has been a very crazy year from then until now. Um, I mean, opening up a restaurant is always is 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 already a crazy thing to do. Um, you know, full of like ups and downs and roller coaster rides. Uh, but then to throw in COVID, um, you know, uh, in March uh, just didn't help things any. Um, so. Um, Getting back to our, our history, so our mission is to spread the deliciousness of Filipino cuisine to the Edmonton public. Um, it's not yet at the popularity that uh, I think it should be, but we're working towards uh, hopefully um, um, gaining the acceptance that our other Asian counterparts are, 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 uh, are enjoying right now. Um, uh, academically, I came from uh, McEwen, well, when it was formerly called Grant McEwen College. I did the Asia Pacific, Asia Pacific Management Diploma there. I got my BCom at the U of A and I did my MBA through the University of Liverpool. And I've worked in a number of uh, industries, uh, transportation, publishing, IT. Uh, but uh, the, uh, I got the passion for, for cooking really early on. Um, I started washing dishes when I was 14 and all through my high school and university career, I've worked in restaurants. So the passion for food really never left and it's always been something that I've always wanted to do. And, um, you know, there came an opportunity uh, uh, to do so after um, traveling and working abroad in Germany and in Japan, you know, we, we, we realized that uh, street food was a, an inherent part of a, of a city's culture. And uh, it's something that Edmonton didn't really have at the time, other than, you know, your, your, your typical uh, hot dog vendors or kettle corn carts and things like that at the farmer's market. So it was something we thought we wanted to do was develop a, a Edmonton street food culture. 
And um, at the time, it sounded like a great idea, but like I said, it was it was a very steep learning curve for the Edmonton downtown uh, or the Edmonton public to to accept street street food or food carts or food trucks at the time. Um, but uh, you know, we had uh, uh, a journal writer. Uh, her name is Leanne Falder, and she she followed our 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 journey from day one ever since we were. Um, at the downtown farmers market, and she did deem us as the uh, the pioneers of the food truck scene here in Edmonton, so was, which is a really nice thing and kind of uh, uh, you know justifying our our plight as uh, as starting street food in the city. Um, so now uh, maybe I'll explain like uh, the effect of COVID and uh, what we've been doing in order to kind of hopefully come out of this uh, uh, you know on the positive end. Um, so we were a, so middle of March, um, you know, we got the call from, uh, from the students union at the, the, uh, university that, uh, things were kind of going to slow down. So we ended up having to shut our U of A location. So that has been shut since, uh, March 20th. So then now how does how does that affect our downtown location so luckily food was considered an essential service and uh it was never in our minds to ever um cease operations um you know social media uh there's always been two factions you know um the faction that you know you should be responsible and you know um keep your customers safe keep your employees safe uh, which we've always had, um, you know, uh, a uh, like a strong push to do so to keep our customers and our and our um, and our employees safe. So um, we've taken all the protocols and precautions to ensure that uh, you know we really uh, amplified our you know our sanitation uh, sanitization uh, protocols. I mean, in the restaurant industry, it's already hyper. Um, sanitary focused um you know ahs has very uh, strict uh regulations that we need to comply with so we just amplified that uh, even more so uh so that was nothing really new for us but was what was really a change for us is that uh the crisis kind of shut the city down uh right in the middle of downtown dining week uh which is uh in the middle of march and uh what was really crazy because we were starting to see very, very um, busy, busy days and busy nights, busy lunch services, busy uh, evening services. So on Monday, which was the, which was March 16th, um, just kind of as a knee jerk reaction to all of the reservation cancellations that I was receiving um, around the third of the fourth uh, cancellation, I kind of flipped the script and I was, I asked the lady, if, uh, if you're not comfortable in coming into the restaurant, would you be open to us delivering the downtown dining week menu to you? And of course she said, Oh, that would be awesome. Like, so that kind of like, um, um, kind of kickstarted our, our, uh, or launched our delivery service. And it was really as out of necessity uh, rather than something that we planned. It was that afternoon I, I, I drove to uh, Russell Foods, Russell Hendrick Foods to pick up some, you know, those insulated uh, delivery bags and uh, not much thought or planning was put into the delivery service. Uh, we just basically took down the names and the addresses and their orders and we um, fulfilled the orders and I delivered all of the, uh, all of the, um, 
orders um, for that week. And about 90% of the customers that called in to cancel their reservations turned into uh, delivery orders, which was, you know, so the, you know, the light bulb went on in, in my head and I thought, hey, you know, this is something that we need to really explore further. And uh, we wanted to get away from the kind of the third party delivery uh, uh, apps, the usual suspects like Uber Eats and um, uh, skip the dishes and things like that. Because I think as, as you all know, I, there's been lots of kind of tension um, with restaurateurs um, and their reaction to using third party uh, delivery apps there. The commission structure is just so prohibitive that uh, it'll really, if you rely heavily on those apps, you will really put yourself out of business. So it was something that was not a, um, an option for us going forward. So we, we launched Philly six delivers, uh, which is our own in-house uh, uh, delivery service. And at first it was very raw and very uh, rudimentary. We were accepting orders uh, through our emails. We, we actually um, um, created uh, Philly six delivers at gmail.com uh, email address uh, just so that people knew that this was a, um, a, a kind of a step in a different direction for, for Philly sticks. Uh, and then, um, you know, as things went by and order, order, uh, order started to increase, we really needed to figure out how to um, automate and how to uh, simplify. So uh, with our uh, payment processor, uh, Co uh, Clover, um, they had an app which we could upload our menu and all of our uh, products in it and turn Philly Six Delivers into an online ordering site, which was a game changer for us. It was something that we realized, hey, you know what, this is something that we need to um, we need to put forth as our core business now. So, so we just made an announcement last week um, that uh, we are permanently moving away from full service, which is sad, but at the same time, I think it is uh, the way moving forward, especially now that uh, uh, d uh, behavior for people to dine in restaurants has completely changed um, for sure in the short term, but who knows what it's going to be like in the, in the long term. So for us to better position ourselves to come out of this on the positive end, we, we, um, we permanently moved away from full service and now we're focusing on takeout uh, delivery and um, fast casual dining um, um, as our core business. Um, yeah. So it's been, it's been two months now that we've tuned a little bit that we've been doing delivery and it's been, um, doing very, very well for us. Um, like I said earlier, I mean, Filipino food is not a very familiar food, so it's always been an uphill battle for us. Um, so we're, we're extremely happy with the response that we've, get, we've been getting uh, in terms of delivery. We've been actually um, tapping into a market that we geographically never serviced being a restaurant downtown. Um, the conversations that I'm having at the doorstep of our customers are that, um, you know, we've always wanted to try a restaurant, we've seen great reviews, we've heard so much about it, but we just never go downtown, uh, or we never dine downtown, or we have uh, a young family, we have, you know, young children, so it's it's not uh, conducive for us to, to, to eat in a restaurant, especially a restaurant like, like ours. So again, the light bulb went on, and it's like, well, you know what, um, if we're not 
actually um, hitting the customers that we should be in the restaurant. And we should be really targeting those, those customers that are outside of the downtown core, you know, in the suburbs. And, and the thing is with, with the, with Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes, if you order from them, you only have like a, a small radius. Uh, so if you're not in the downtown core, you will not be able to enjoy our food. And for us to be able to deliver to uh, the suburbs, like, you know, the Hamptons or Twilliger or Greasebaugh, um, people really uh, tuned into that and said, you know, this is great. We've always wanted to try your food and now we can. So uh, that's kind of how um, Philly Six Delivers launched. That's awesome. Yeah, it's super exciting to see that because I know when you have that captive audience in a post-secondary environment, you know, that they were the only people who knew about it. It was mm-hmm. like the best kept secret, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now it's, it's great that other people are actually getting to try this through just the idea that, oh yeah, we can deliver this. Right. I'm really glad they can because it's really good, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and something that Tyler really uh, mentioned at the end there, that this is the best time to innovate. This is the best time to try things because the market, like he said, was is very, very forgiving. So you are afforded mistakes. And um, as an entrepreneur, you have to embrace making mistakes. Uh, you can't let it get you down. I mean, we've made a ton of mistakes when we launched this restaurant back last year. You know, we thought we had the right team in place, which we didn't. We thought we had the um, uh, the right food in place, the right menu in place, which we didn't. Um, you know, we were a little bit, uh, we really succumbed to a little bit of hubris where we thought that, you know, people knew uh, Philly Sticks, they knew the brand, they knew our name, they knew our food, but you know, we really misjudged kind of the market downtown. So all of these mistakes that we made, you know, the key is to, to not make those mistakes again and learn from those mistakes. And, um, you know, uh, launching this delivery service for us was, was really like an exciting thing because we could, you know, adjust things on the fly you know, figure out how to do things more efficiently. You know, we did get some resistance from our kitchen staff and our, um, you know, because they're, you're, they're used to, uh, you know, dining, uh, dining orders, you know, where this was like all batch orders that we were, that we were compiling, you know, um, we really had to change the way that, that uh, our customers interacted with us. Um, you know, we would uh, set a cutoff time for lunch delivery at 10 and then cut off time for dinner delivery at three. So people really had to figure that out. And, you know, the key was, was for us to communicate, how do you order for delivery? You know, and it's, it's, it's different than the kind of transactional type of um, model that uh, skip the dishes or Uber eats does where you call in your order and then it gets delivered. You know, it's, it's, it's not like that for us. We, um, it's a learning curve for our customers too, because, because, uh, you know, they have to, they have to basically know what they want to order either, you know, the day before or the day of, um, but, you know, you're really getting customers who, who are, you know, looking forward to ordering our food and getting our food delivered. So um, like I was saying about the resistance, you know, you know, uh, bombarding our kitchen with like, you know, you know, 15, 16, 20 orders at a, at one time really was like, Oh my God, what are you doing to us? You know, but, you know at, at first they, it, it's also like, uh, um, having to, you know, um, you know, share our vision with our, our, our internally and change the culture internally with, 
with our with our staff is that this is the way moving forward so um they really needed to figure out their own systems uh within the kitchen uh and our own system within within ordering uh within the kitchen system so yeah for sure so like you were saying you've actually lived and worked internationally before so is there something special that drew you back to edmonton to start your business here <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a born and raised Edmontonian. So this is the only city that I really know. I mean, I'm, I'm part of the cultural fabric. I'm part of the economy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm part of the history. <laughs> um, so really for me opening up uh, a business or starting our business in Edmonton was like the only kind of uh, um, option for us. Um, what I do take with me is that uh, the inspiration I got from traveling abroad and living abroad is that, I, you know, there, there, we really recognized there was a, a void in the market there um, that we didn't really have street food. Like literally, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that, you know, before us and then two years after us, you just saw a spike in, in food trucks, um, you know, and, and maybe partly because people saw that, you know, Hey, there's these, these two dudes that are on Rice Howard Way, you know, making it happen. And all of a sudden you start seeing, you know, shows on the Food Network, uh, you know, really showcasing like food trucks in the U.S. Um, so, I mean, it, it is it is kind of, vindic um, you know, vindication for us that we were doing something right and that mm -hmm. we brought something new to the city. Well, and the exciting thing about that is then you got featured in like the Edmonton Cooks cookbook, right? And right. Your, your coleslaw is definitely part of Edmonton's culture now, <laughs> that's for sure. And I think what you're saying is basically not to be scared and to use those light bulbs that you get from talking directly to your customers to adapt right. rather than guessing what they would want, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's the uh, there's a saying, you know, build it and, and they will come. Well, this was completely opposite. Like we were we were reacting to what was happening in the market, you know, like, like I said, it was a, a knee jerk reaction. There wasn't much thought put into the delivery uh, model and the delivery service. It was just based out of necessity. It wasn't a revenue generating measure. It was a revenue recovery measure for us. Like we were losing sales. If all of these, um, you know, uh, diners that, you know, were canceling reservations, like we would be really screwed. Um, so there was nothing left for us to do, but to react to, to the market. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's where the difference comes, right? As you could have just said, all right, that's it. And yeah. Rolled over, but that's where that resiliency comes back. Right. Absolutely. You've been through changes before. That, you know, that willingness to fight and that fighting spirit has always been inherently in, in, you know, myself and my business partner. Um, like I said, coming from the food truck, um, realm, you really need to be nimble and really need to be agile. So that's something that, uh, that was inherent in us. Um, I know there's a lot of restaurants out there that, um, that have not been able to pivot, whether that be because logistically speaking, they aren't able to, or operationally, they're not able to, or, um, you know, uh, philosophically or you know, their vision doesn't, um, you know, doesn't lend to them being very agile or flexible, which is unfortunate because the, these times right now, especially for the res restaurant industry, it's things will not be the same coming out of this, um, unfortunately, you know, like, um, at least in the short term, I think 
uh, dining and restaurants will really be modified and the confidence, I, I'm sure in the long term, the confidence will be restored. But in the short term, you know, we still have bills to pay, we have rent to pay, we have uh, staff to pay. So uh, um, it's something that uh, unfortunately that some, some restaurants have not been able to, uh, um, to, to do is be flexible and be agile. Mm -hmm. I will agree with that. Uh, what's in the chat there that Ariel has always been an innovator and a hard worker. So <laughs> we definitely appreciate um, being able to hear from both of you guys. It's been a very interesting side to both things, right? The innovation side, the positivity, but also innovation combined with positivity and not being scared to try new things, which is really the whole point of the uh, the whole series. So I will, um, I will pass it to Tegan briefly and uh, yeah, then we'll give you your, your full thank you. <laughs> thank you guys. That was awesome. Um, I actually want to ask both of you one last question. Um, so, you know, knowing that we have lots of entrepreneurs in the city, some will be looking at possibly starting a new business because there's opportunities presenting themselves in different industries. Uh, some will be looking at stopping a business and, or pivoting it into a different direction. And there actually has been some businesses I'm looking at that are um, looking to scale uh, because the service that they provide or the product they provide is making them busier than ever. Um, all of them require a lot of uh, innovation and adaptability and, and ability to take high stress situations. What would you say to any of our entrepreneurs uh, right now, from what you've learned just in the last two months, uh, what would be what you would tell your two month ago self um, if you were talking to yourself from two months ago? What would you say your your biggest learning or takeaway has been in the last two months? Tyler, go. <laughs> uh, I would say. I mentioned how we're doing weekly retrospective meetings on our project. I think this is a philosophy I had before, but is more relevant than ever. And it is try new things, but also have clearly defined goals and measure, be able to measure those goals and really look, uh, really look at is what I'm trying to do working and be willing to throw out things that you feel very emotional or passionate about if those metrics aren't being met or, or adapt or try to find new ways to accomplish them. Um, we literally had like long conversations about um, really giving up like emotional decisions around the ideas that we did so, and really giving up ownership of ideas that we felt passionate about because we, we couldn't possibly predict what two months that would look like. Uh, so really look, try new things all the time, but also don't keep doing them if they're not working. Uh, and and try, then try a new thing and don't feel bad that the old thing didn't work. You tried it <laughs> and, and you tried it with the best of intentions and you can take it, uh, advantage of that leeway we talked about, the forgiveness that the audience has right now. Um, but I feel like everyone already nodded, so I'm gonna stop talking, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, just to go off on what Tyler said, like. You, you know, you should, if you're starting a new business or you're growing your business um, um, based on what's happening, don't, you should never concede your vision or your mission, but you should be able to um, pivot and, and uh, be agile and be flexible and be willing to make 
those mistakes and learn from those mistakes. Um, yeah, if you're if you're dug in, and a lot of these restaurants that perhaps may not be around in the future, they're dug in and they're not willing or able to uh, uh, to pivot and try new things and you know get in the social media. Um, you know, realm, you know, a lot of restaurants that are out there, a lot of those that have been around for 20, 25 years, they're already too late in the game. And you see some of them that are just not adapting, but then you see some that are, that are adapting and they're starting to get some, some, some focus and some attention on them, which is great. Um, there was an article written by um, chef in New York, Gabrielle, I forgot her last name, but she has a restaurant in New York called Prune. And she um, uh, wrote a column in the New York Times that she is, she's given up the fight a little bit. She isn't willing to um, do takeout or delivery. Um, her, her vision is, for her restaurant is that it is a place to gather and it is a social place. And she isn't willing to, uh, um, to pivot. And that's fine too. But you have to really accept that, uh, you know, that are you going to be a viable business in the future? Probably not. So just never concede on your vision or your mission of what you want to do with your business, but you just have to try new things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And like Tyler was saying, um, the market is very forgiving right now. So you can try the craziest things. You can do live video to get uh, more followers or to get more uh, attention on your business. And, and if it doesn't work, you try something else. <laughs> For sure. I just want to briefly jump in to say we, to share that we, we threw out a concept that, for goodness grows like the day we were gonna launch it to our team members and literally like got together there were like tears and we like reinvented the whole program in six hours because it wasn't right um and that's the kind of like i i that's the kind of what i mean about like these quick pivots like the story what i was able to show you today took like three or four sharp right turns just to get out the door and I think will be different if you invite me back to speak about it again in a few months. For sure. 100%. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really valuable that you shared that with us. Yeah, thank you so much, guys. And so, yeah, in times like these, uh, all we, like entrepreneurs are, are um, busier and, and more stressed out than ever, need more supports than ever. Um, and what I want to send out as a message to everybody here, and, and I, I encourage everybody to share when we do have the recording, share it with your community. Uh, let people know that we're doing this every Thursday at lunch. Um, and we'll be, you know, just adding to the community of, of positive mindsets, re mindset, resiliency, and, and uh, um, strength here in the Edmonton community. And we're here to support. And uh, so if anybody that you know needs some support in any way possible, we're offering it up. Um, you know, I've got experience. We have good connections with people that have experience and, and we just don't want anybody to feel alone. So, um, so that I'll, uh, end my bit there and yeah, I hope everybody has a good rest of the day. For sure. And I just want to thank, uh, Tyler and Ariel for coming through again. It, we really appreciate you coming to talk with us and our Homestead members and everyone who's going to be seeing this lovely recording. Um, we do have two more sets of the series. So next Thursday, as well as the Thursday after that. Um, we will be closing off the series with um, 
Johnny Jacques, who is from Print Machine. So he'll be talking about the Here for Good campaign for small businesses, as well as uh, we've got Linda Huang, who is actually moved her entire festival that was supposed to be this weekend to digital. So if you need a festival this weekend, there's the International Cat Fest going on. So make sure to check that out. There'll be lots of cute cats and things like that. And then we've also got Phil Wong coming in from Commonwealth Home Ownership. So that'll be a totally different fun thing to talk about uh, innovation wise. And uh, yeah, we just want to thank you both again for coming by and thank you everybody who attended and we'll see you next week. Thanks.